morning. It's great to see everyone here worshiping with us this morning. Welcome once again to River Valley Community Church. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you were here last week, and I mentioned a book, and if you wanted more, a copy of that book but weren't able to get it, we have three more copies right there for that. We are continuing our series going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Don't know what's going on here. Excuse me. All right. We'll see if that works. All right. Have you ever had just one of those weeks that nothing seems to go right? Let me tell you about my week. Well, no. Small things. But like the Facebook uh, account for the church was hacked through my account. I had to battle that back. They ran an ad, ran up like $300 and stuff like that. So I'm going to be speaking with Facebook about that. We've had two leaks now on the roof here from the rain. This is a great, and then plus off, uh, we have a leak in the pipe in my own house. And so there we go. So that's a great week. But you know what's great about that? That no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how it's going or the turbulent circumstances we are facing, we can come together and we can praise God together. We can come together and actually focus our eyes again on who Christ is and rejoice in what he's done for us. You guys know that, but I'm also telling myself because we all need to hear that as well. So as I said, we are going to dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, and we're going to be talking through what God would have us from this passage. But before we do that, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for today. When we can gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you. Thank you for a time in which we can open up your word and we can know you and how you save. Thank you for a community, community that can love and support each other and be there for each other no matter what. So Lord, I pray for this time. As we do open up your word, I pray that you bring it to life in our, in our minds, in our hearts, that we truly can see you. I pray that we don't just see it as information out there, but we see it truly as a source, the source of hope and comfort. That we can truly see our life through the lens of your holy word and be changed because of it. Lord, we love you, we seek you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how will this world end? You know, actually, it's a pretty common question. You just have to actually look at Hollywood, or you can look at common thoughts about people that people have, but people hitting the plant that destroys all life. Hollywood says maybe. In the same year, they had two movies released that talked about that thing, and they keep on talking about how the world is going to end. Will the world end because of nuclear war, because of, 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 of these weapons we designed and created? Well, is that going to wipe out all life? Is the world going to end by overpopulation, that we just produce too many people and we're going to destroy this plant that God has given us? Is the world going to end because the climate is changing and that's going to bring about 
natural disasters like we've never seen before. These are all common thoughts or have been thoughts in the past about how people think the world is going to end. And it strikes fear into people's hearts. They wonder about it and they think it's going to happen and it's one of these ways and so they're scared about how the world is going to end and the Bible comes along and presents this true fact. It says, yes, you're right. It will end. But instead of fear, instead of being that, that fear and um, of this mystery or of how it's going to end or fear of things ending, it provides a different answer. It points to hope. That the Bible says about what is going to happen at the end of this age, but the Bible points for, towards believers, those who know Christ, that they should have hope rather than fear. This whole realm of the end or end times in theology is called eschatology. This is, is this a fancy way of saying the study of these end times, the studies of Jesus' return or the judgment of God, the final destiny of humanity. This is called eschatology. And really, when we study that, Christians should be looking for hope and comfort because we want to know how God's plan will be carried back about to fruition. But the funny thing about that, the funny thing about eschatology, if you've been involved with churches at all, this doctrine or theology that should provide hope so often provides rather division. That people look about how this will happen and they devise systems or they fall into a belief about a system of how it's going to happen and then they stake their flag there and then they're going to fight to the death with other Christians about how it's going to happen, and there's a big conflict in that. <clears throat> that something that should give us hope starts to divide the Christian church. Now, if you're, if you're not familiar with eschatology or the study of eschatology or, or how people think Jesus is going to come back, like big camps that people fall into that are defined by how they relate Jesus returning to his reign in uh, Revelation 20 that is said to be a thousand years. And so you got the premillennial saying, hey, Jesus is going to arrive back and then he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to reign for a thousand years. And then you got the postmillennials that say, no, we are in the church age and this thousand years is figurative and we are going to conquer the world. And once the, church be- once the world becomes churched by Christians, then Jesus is going to come back and reign as he's called. And then there's an all millennials that say the millennia, the thousand years is figurative. We're in the church age and when he comes back, we don't know, but he's coming back. So you can probably find yourselves in one of those categories, generally speaking. If you can't, that's fine. But people fight over this. But what is common with all three major camps is that they hold to the biblical truth that Jesus is physically returning and is a source of hope. And when we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 18, we see that theme is carried out again that Jesus will return, and because he's returning, we have hope. Four, and we'll dive in, uh, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> Paul starts the, part, starts the section this way. 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage the Lord, uh, therefore encourage one another with these words. I apologize for that. We thought that we had that fixed, but apparently we don't. Oh well. So what do we what do we take? I'm being told I have to use a handheld. I'll tell you why. Someone said it. <laughs> it's because I talk with my hands. And when you talk with your hands and you use a handheld, you start falling your hands. And it's not good. But I'll do my best. So what are we supposed to take from this passage in 1 Thessalonians? And I will just offer you this simple point. We hope because Jesus will return. It's that simple. We hope because Jesus will return. Because when we look at this passage, let's kind of just put aside those systems that we might think about in the coming of Jesus and let the passage speak for itself. Because the passage doesn't speak about maybe even the nature of the resurrection bodies. The passage doesn't speak about timing. The passage doesn't speak about uh, the new heavens or the new earth. The passage doesn't speak about how God's going to be reigning in this new heavens and earth. But what does the passage speak about? Hope. It says, we hope because he will return. And a Christian hope is not just this kind of modern hope of we just kind of wish this will be true. No, it's a confident expectation that what God declares will happen. And so we hope, we trust, and we have confidence that he will return. And when he does, it will be glorious and good. For the Lord will, will set all things right or no more pain. And we trust in that. And when we read this, we have this sense that we hope because Jesus will return. And so let's, when we dive into this passage, we see that. That, even if, that if we go back to the end of the passage that we just read, Paul actually tells us why is he writing these words. In verse 18, he says, Therefore encourage one another with these words, that these words that he wrote, wrote to this church should be used for the encouragement of the Christians. That they should be used by the believers to kind of encourage one another with this truth that Jesus is coming back. And that things will be okay. And we need that. Because life does not go as we expect it to go sometimes. Life does not happen as we would might want it to happen. And in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of these, these things we get involved in or these things that go in our life that can weigh us down, these truly hardships that we can experience that we need to be reminded of how it ends. 
We need to be reminded that someone is in control and he's going to bring us to the end that he has declared. And that's good that we use this for encouraged about this uh, trait that my wife has. She's not here. She's back in the kids, so I can share this. Um, I've used this before, but she has this habit of when she's reading a book, she skips to the end and reads the end. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's not how her story works. I'm offended. But she does it. But then now I've read the study that actually says that there's a large population that is, actually increases their enjoyment when they know how the story is going to end. And I was thinking about that, and that's the fact of, that, that feeds into what we believe in Christians, that actually our enjoyment, our comfort, our hope should be increased because we know how it's going to end. That we're so fortunate, we are not like those who are reading a story of our life and we don't know what comes next, though we don't, but we do know how it's going to end. We know the person who's writing it and we know the person who's in control of it and we know the end in which she's taking us. And so when we think about the coming of Jesus, it should encourage us, it should fill us with hope because we know who's in control, and we know how he's bringing about what needs to happen. We know the end in which he's declared it. This passage meets us at maybe the most important struggle that we can have in this life, is that it meets us in our grief. Paul's writing to people, and they actually obviously had this objection there, or this worry is that maybe they had fellow believers who have now passed away and they're wondering, hey, Paul, you're saying Jesus is coming, but when he comes and we're here, what about our brothers and sisters, these loved ones? They are now dead. Where's the hope for them? And Paul's reminding them that those who are dead are not forgotten by God. He's reminding them of this glorious truth that why they might be worried about these who have passed, that they shouldn't be worried because God's plan encompasses them as well. It addresses them in their grief. And Paul gives this great euphemism about death. He says they're asleep which is a great picture of what we believe as Christians, that their bodies are asleep. They're not there. They're not conscious, but yet they are going to be awakened. That when we think about the, the people who have passed that are asleep, we're thinking about the fact that the, really, the, the reality is that Christ will awaken them, that he will bring them back, and that we will be with them like those who do not have hope. If you've ever experienced grief, what a great comment this is. For I don't know how the world that does not know Jesus can go through grief and keep on going. For this reminds us that we have this hope that transcends even the passing of a loved one. That we have a hope that carries us on that we have a hope that though they have died in their body, they're not dead. They're very much alive with Christ and that they will be coming back with him. It's a great hope that we hold on to. 
It's a hope that is so real in my life as I'm mourning the loss of my brother. That why grief is still a very real thing. We don't do it without hope. We have a hope that carries us on. A hope that transcends what we're going through right now. A hope even that speaks to us in our pain, speaks to us in those dark moments, calling us to lift who's in charge of this world and whose end will be brought to completion. That those who have left us are not forgotten. That God loves them and is with them. And those who have died in Christ will be be brought back with Christ. We hope because Jesus will return. We also hope because we have this resurrection awaiting us. That those who believe in Christ who have passed away will be resurrected first. It says that. It says that those in Christ will be resurrected first. But that's first. And when we look at Paul's writings and through the New Testament, we have this great promise of the resurrection. That when we die, we actually will be uh, uh, resurrected into a new body, a glorious body, freed from pain, freed from the effects of sin, ready to worship and be with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is what awaits us. That we have this great promise that that's the end. That right now we have this great promise that when we we die now, our soul will be with Christ, that we know that's true, that we'll be comforted by him. But what is our true hope is that when the end comes, we will be physically reborn and as we were meant to be. There's been many people I've talked to about the Christian hope and they kind of stop at heaven. They say, oh, that's the hope, right? Is that when we die, we'll be playing a harp on a cloud, right? With Christ, And it kind of seems like this disembodied state that's like, I can't relate to that. And I say, yeah, you're right. You can't relate to that. Because humanity was made body and soul together. You can't separate those. And so what is so great about the resurrection is that it speaks to what we crave and long for. What we need and how we're designed. That the ultimate end after that intermediate state of heaven, which is going to be glorious, is even going to be more glorious as we're going to live with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth forever in a glorified state, body and soul together. That we see this great reality that we hope. Why? Because the resurrection awaits. And we hope in how Christ is bringing that about and how he will save us in that. We hope because Jesus will return. But when we read this passage, we hope also because there's this great promise in it that we will always be what's going to happen when Jesus returns and he's returning in this great and bold way with a trumpet sound, the voice of a, an archangel, of a, a word of command. Jesus returns and it's this, this, this monumental thing. But what is the great hope there is that we will always be with the Lord. 
And when you start thinking about the hope of humanity, we see from the very beginning, that's how we were designed to be. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with the Lord. Humanity was made to have a relationship with God. We were made to have that, but sin broke and severed it. And so from chapter three of Genesis onwards through the Bible, we get this great story of God's redemption, about how he's moving heaven and earth, how he's arranging history, how he's making a people for himself. Why? For one purpose, so that he can be with his people and his people can be with him. And we get this great glimpses of it through history. We have how he dwells with, uh, meets with Moses face to face as a friend. We have the tabernacle and the temple where his glory descends and people can commune with him. We have his, boy, his, his uh, prophets who speak his truth. But they're all just glimpses of the reality that awaits us when we will now be with him forever and we'll be able to have a relationship as we were designed to have a relationship with him. That we will be with him we will be with the Lord. And we can trust that and know We're encouraged again and again that we know this is true of a believer no matter what happens in their life. Uh, Paul speaks about it again in uh, the book of Philippians. In Philippians verses, uh, one, chapter 1, verses 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to love the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That Paul is relating this, this promise, this hope, that he knows that if he dies, he'll be with the Lord, but he knows that no matter what, he'll always have him, or rather, the Lord will always have Paul. It's the same for us. That this great promise is that we will always be with the Lord means we'll never be abandoned. We'll never be forgotten. We'll never be pushed to the side. We'll never be an afterthought. That God who started that good work in us will bring it to completion in the day when which Jesus returns. But also notice something about that great promise that we will always be with the Lord. It's a promise of community. Believers. We, the family of God. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, will always be together with the Lord. That's a great thought that we'll always have this great community of faith. That we won't just be us separated from everyone else with God, which would be glorious if that was true, because that's all we need. But he even supplies something more, which is the great community of faith, which is why when we get to the book of Revelation, what do we see in these visions of the throne room of God? What do we see at the end? A great multitude from every tribe, tongue, of every kind of person in the world gathered around God, praising him. And when Paul writes, we will always be with the Lord, he's in talking about that community. We, the family of God, the multitude will always be with him. Now, if you're a believer, you're part of that multitude. If you believe in Christ, you're included in that great promise will be with the Lord. And it's a great thing that we celebrate those baptisms this morning. 
as we're remembering how someone enters into God's kingdom, enters into that relationship, that they're saved by grace through faith. And we remember that and celebrate that through baptism, that we will be with the Lord. Another reason why we hope. We hope because Jesus will return. The fact of the matter is that when we read 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to go back right into 2 Thessalonians, almost in every single chapter, this hope is repeated, that the Lord will return. Almost every single chapter, every time it gives encouragement, every time it kind of guides people on how to respond to maybe how they've gone out of whack with living for Christ, it gives this reminder that Jesus will return. Why? Because that is what we look forward to. That is what we hope for. That's what we long for, that Jesus will return and he'll set all things right, that Jesus will return and the pain that we're experiencing will be no more, that Jesus will return and the sin that we battle daily will no longer be a struggle for us because it will be cast into hell with, with everything else. We long for that and trust in that, that the Lord will return. And if you want to have a great debate on how that's going to take place, to the hope he will return in a glorious scene that the whole world can't deny it. The whole world is going to recognize it because just look at this language that uh, the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a crowd of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. That does not seem like something that's going to quietly happen. That seems like something the whole world's going to recognize and have to deal with. That the Lord, the king of the universe, the maker of this very cosmos is going to return. And when he returns, he's going to reign. And when he reigns, it'll be good. And we trust that he's going to set everything right. And he's going to right all the wrongs. And we trust in that. The Lord will return. And we hope that. When you think about Jesus returning, does it fill you with hope? Or does it fill you with something else? You know what's always amazing to me is that if you, if you have read the book of Revelation, how does John in the book, this great book that's so hard to understand that people want to fight about, and this great imagery about the return, about how God's going to bring about the completion of his plan, and it can strike, come Lord Jesus. Amen. That when he thinks about Jesus returning, he actually longs for it. He says, come Get here quickly, God. Get here as fast as you can. That he, seeing the church being persecuted, maybe make that make sense to him. But how foreign can that be for us? Because we love this world so much when we're called to actually love God and his returning, Christ and his returning, because we know that is how it should be. That's going to be far glorious than this. That all the things that we struggle with will be taken care of that we hope because the Lord will return. We hope because Jesus will return. So when you read this passage, how are we supposed to take it to our own lives? Well, 
the first thing is I think we need to live in light that Jesus is going to return. That we live in such a way that we expect it, we hope in it, that we live in such a way that actually it makes, actually declares to the world we believe it's going to happen. That we actually model our life expecting that Jesus will come back and that we hope for it and long for it. That means that we seek to honor God by reading his word and applying it to our lives and to living as he's commanded us to live. That we kind of organize our life under his word. We live in light of the fact that Jesus will return, and we hope for that. J.C. Ryle, who is a, I think he's from the early 1900s, put it like this. Let's remember that the time is short, and the coming of the Lord draweth near. A few more battles, and the last trumpet shall sound, and the Prince of Peace shall come to reign on the renewed earth. A few more struggles and conflicts, and then we shall bid goodbye to warfare and to sin, and to sorrow, and to death. Then let us fight on to the last and never surrender. I love how he puts that because he says, hey, the end is coming. We're looking forward to it. Does that mean we sit around? No, that means we live now in that warfare which, which we're fighting, and we fight the good fight of the faith. We live now expecting Jesus to return, but we live now knowing that he has not yet returned. We know how the victory has been accomplished for us. And so now we live in light of that victory and seek to honor him in all things. So what should we do in light of this, that Jesus will return, is that we live in light of it, organize our life around it, and only him. What do you hope for? What do you put your confidence in? Do you put your confidence in your ability to maintain a healthy lifestyle and provide for your family through your job? Do you put your hope and confidence in whoever's in charge of our country? Do you put your hope and confidence in a political party? Do you put your hope and confidence in the circumstances in which we walk through life in? Or do you put your hope in the Lord and in Jesus Christ, the maker of all that there is, the ruler of this world? Do we put our hope in him and trust that his end will come to completion and trust in him, that we hope in Christ? Because we hope, because Jesus will return. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word that we can read, we can understand, we can hope in the truthfulness of it. We expect the truthfulness of it. But we hope in what it says and how it promises that you will return, that you'll send your son back. And that when you do, it will be made right. God will be together with you. Lord, we hope in that truth. We hope in you. Let us live that truth out every day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Going into this last song.